Thanks, Madison. Morning, everybody. So my parents visited recently. My mom flew out first, uh, and she didn't rent a car, so we had to pick her up at the airport and then kind of coordinate getting her around town while she was here. My dad came out later, but he rented a car, so we didn't have to pick him up at the airport, but he had a bunch of appointments that we kind of needed to coordinate our activities around. But then they flew out together, uh, so we didn't have to take him to the airport then because my dad had that rental car, which was a good thing because I had this other thing scheduled the morning that they were going to leave. Okay, and so to coordinate all these details, my dad wrote them all down in an email and he sent them to me before they came out. And my question for you this morning is, would you like me to forward you that email? Yeah. Right. Okay, so the point is no, like it, it has nothing to do with your life. And um, I think if we fast forwarded 2,000 years, it would have absolutely no relevance to anybody that was alive. Okay, but here's the thing. Today we're going to look at two paragraphs in the book of Philippians, whose primary concern seems to be coordinating the travel plans of Paul and a couple of his co-workers. And it raises this question, like, like should I care? Like, why is this in the Bible? Is this actually relevant uh, to us 2,000 years ago? Like, you know, the travel plans of some random guys in Macedonia. Like, I don't know. Um, well, here's the thing is, I think this passage actually does speak to us in a really cool way today. I'm excited to share it with you. So let's go ahead and read the text, um, and then we'll get into it. It uh, should be up on your, um, in your bulletins or up on the slides. This is uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. So listen up. This is God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how... As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. So if you want to write anything down today, here's today's big idea. God's kingdom comes when everyday disciples like you and me love each other sacrificially, okay? God's kingdom comes when everyday disciples like you and me love each other sacrificially. Now, to show you how this passage gives us that message, I have to give you a little bit of background. So we're in a sermon series. Uh, it's called Invincible Joy. We're going through the book of Philippians. But as I studied Philippians this week... I want to amend that uh, title to be this, Invincible Joy, Some Assembly Required, okay? And here's what I mean, because in this letter, there's a whole lot of joy, but there's also a whole lot of work, okay? Um, just a cursory overview, and you see all these, like, calls and commands of stuff like pray, make progress in the faith, live in a worthy manner, stand firm, strive, be humble, hold fast, work out your salvation, press on. What's up? Like, I thought salvation was supposed to be free. It's a lot of work here. Well, remember what Mike told us uh, last week, that the idea of salvation 
uh, in Scripture encompasses a lot more than just that moment when you become a Christian. It actually, um, the full scriptural concept of salvation stretches all the way from our election in eternity past all the way to our glorification in eternity future. That's what salvation means. And so theologians have come up with this thing called the ordo salutis, which is the order of salvation, and it describes um, the order in which all of these aspects of salvation take place. And it's helpful if you are a Christian today to realize that all of this stuff has already happened in your salvation in the past, and where you are right now is this little section called sanctification, okay? That's where you're living your life. And sanctification, unlike the other parts of this timeline, requires our work. It requires our work. Now, granted, it's our work in conjunction with the work that God is doing. We saw that last week. But the point is that we're not passive in sanctification. We have a part to play. And that part is called discipleship. Discipleship is us joining God's work of salvation. Okay? It's what being a Christian is all about. Um, let me put it this way. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not a disciple. Another way to put it is there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't care and who doesn't put any effort into growing in the salvation that's been given to them. Does that make sense? See, the underlying assumption in all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, is that the only proper response to God's free gift of salvation is to work out that salvation in your life, okay? To pursue it, to press into it, to hold fast to it, to strive in it, to explore its depth, its height, its length, its breadth, to experience it saturating more and more of your life. And here in Philippians, we see that invincible joy is tied to our effort in those things. And this isn't something new, okay? This is actually an echo of Eden all the way back in the beginning. Eden, where God graciously put men and women in a garden and said, yeah, this place is great, but I want to make it amazing, and I want to do it with you. I want to invite you into the work that I'm doing. Y'all, that's love. That's respect. That's honor. That's glory. That's delight. God wants to work with us. See, that's what we are made for, to work out our salvation and to find out that in our work, God himself is working in us. So faith without works is dead, but faith followed by works, that's actually the gospel. And it leads us to invincible joy. All right, so discipleship is all about us joining God's work of salvation. But now we need to take um, a closer look at one very specific aspect of that work. So this red letter, Philippians, was written to Christians living in Philippi. And Philippi is a city a lot like San Diego. Okay, it's uh, situated on an important trade route. It's prosperous, a lot of military and business people. These are well-off folks who have pursued successful careers and who are now enjoying the comfort and the benefits, the privileges of being citizens of the most powerful nation in the world. And in a lot of ways, they're doing great, right? Paul, uh, he loves them and he praises them uh, for being generous, for being caring, for being faithful, Jesus-loving partners in the gospel. 
but, right? There's a but, and I don't know if it's because um, of their wealth, uh, their comfort, their privilege has made them prone to this, but a spirit of individualism has crept into this congregation, and you get a sense that their sort of default attitude is, well, yeah, Jesus and me are tight, but like, who are all these other people at church? <laughs> like, who are these folks that I have to share these pews with? And Paul comes in and he puts his finger on that and he says, no. No, that is not how we do. See, disciples of Jesus love one another sacrificially. In humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. We look not only to our interests, but to the interests of others. And he goes on in chapter 2 to, to sort of underscore this point in two really great ways. First of all, he shows us Jesus. In verses 6 through 8, he says, look, look at how Jesus has loved you. The most privileged gave up what was rightfully his to treat you as more significant. The richest of all became poor so that you might become rich. The king became a slave so that you might become free. The author of life submitted himself to death so that you might live. This is the Jesus that we follow. This is the example that he has set for us. And then in the next few verses, Paul reminds us what God has been doing from the very beginning. In verses 14 and 15, he says, you guys are supposed to be lights shining in the darkness. What he's doing is he's calling back to that foundational promise that God made to Abraham, that through Abraham's family, the entire world would be blessed. And the way that that family lived their life would be a shining beacon of God's love and grace to a dark and broken world that desperately needs it. Paul says, don't grumble about this like the Israelites did when God set them free from Egypt. A crooked and twisted generation was what God called his own people who didn't live out their salvation. So Paul is saying, Philippians... San Diegans, this individualism is deadly. When we fail to love each other sacrificially, when we indulge our selfish ambition, when we put our interests above others, when we insist on our rights, our privileges, our comforts, our preferences, we distort the image of Jesus. And we actually undermine God's work of salvation in the world. This is a big deal. And Paul says, if you have any participation in Christ, work out your salvation by loving each other just as Jesus loved you. So now finally we can come to Timothy and Epaphroditus. And what first looked like, you know, kind of a random and irrelevant travel plan, it suddenly unfolds into this wonderful gift of encouragement for regular Joes like you and me. All right, because so far, Paul's examples of people who are living sacrificially like this are Jesus and himself, right? And so it's kind of like in a different league, and you might be saying like, well, okay, yeah, like Jesus and Paul can do it, uh, but you know, how am I supposed to, to live this out? And in Paul's brief description of Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are just regular guys like us, we find out. And I, I see like two aspects here. First, 
Timothy and Epaphroditus have a deep emotional bond with others. All right, you see, Paul says Timothy is genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. He is looking to their interests. And then he goes on, he says, Timothy is like a son to me. There's this deep emotional bond there. And in the same way, Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier. He's describing that, that emotional bond that's forged between people who are fighting a battle together, who are facing adversity and danger together, who are risking their lives for a common cause. And you can hear the distress in Paul's voice when he thinks about the fact that Epaphroditus almost died. And Epaphroditus himself, he's longing for the Philippians. He's the one who almost died, but he's concerned about them. See, he's counting them as more significant than himself. Do you see that? There's this deep emotional bond with others. And then the second thing I'm seeing is, is that Timothy and Epaphrod Epaphroditus, they take action to serve others. Paul says, you know Timothy, he's got proven worth. He's saying he has a track record of serving others in the gospel. He's not an armchair quarterback, right? He's on the field. He's in the trenches. He's putting his life on the line for others. He's doing something. And Epaphroditus, he has labored to serve the Philippians. He walked, it's like, it's like the distance between New York City and Chicago. It's like 40 days of walking. He walked that far just to bring the Philippians' gift to Paul. He emptied himself and he almost died to serve the Philippians. And then he's hanging out with Paul in prison, serving Paul. This is just a regular guy who is loving others sacrificially with practical action. And check this out. Paul says of both of them, he says, their service to others is actually service to Jesus. He makes this connection between their love for others with their love for Jesus. Paul holds these guys up as disciples uh, living in a manner worthy of the gospel. They're working out their salvation with sacrificial love for each other. And Paul says, honor people like this. Rejoice that they are among you. Why? Because disciples like this are the image of Jesus. Shining in a dark world that desperately needs him. Okay, disciples like this are proof that God is actually continuing the good work that he's begun. People like this are proof that his kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. Because more of Jesus in you is more of Jesus in the world. And that's the whole point. See, God has given us invincible joy, some assembly required. So let's get to work. So, so what does this mean for us today? What are some ways that we can work this into our lives? Well, so I have two ideas that I came up with, and you might come up with more. First one, I would say check your perspective. Check your perspective. Realize uh, this is the call, okay? If you think Christianity is something different, check your perspective. This is the call. After washing his disciples' feet, Jesus said, do to others what I have done to you. No servant is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Loving others sacrificially is the work of every single disciple of Jesus. This is the call. 
Also, remember that we're talking about working out your salvation, not working for your salvation. Okay, there's a big difference. Working for your salvation is not the gospel, and it leads to despair. But working out your salvation is the gospel, and it leads to delight. Okay, because when you live like this, you experience more of God, right? This isn't about like, like you know, white-knuckling it and just doing the effort to lay your life down for somebody who you don't actually like. Um, this is about taking a small step in faith and finding that God is already doing the work in you. All right? We learned about this last week. When you live like this, you experience fellowship with God. as He's already working in you. And then you experience his power as he fills you up. As you pour yourself out for others, God meets you and he fills you up. And that leads to invincible joy. All right, so check your perspective on this stuff. And then the second thing I would say in terms of application is, is check your privilege, right? And here's what I mean by that. Every time your rights, your comforts, your preferences, your ambitions bump up against somebody else's, that's an opportunity for you to work out your salvation, okay? You don't have to walk to Chicago like Epaphroditus did. You don't have to, like, be shipwrecked with Paul like Timothy was, you just have to check your privilege. Here's why this is important. In a world that talks a big game about love, but can't seem to hold a civil conversation with anybody who disagrees with them, how countercultural, how, how, how subversive, how attractive would it be to shine this image of Jesus into the darkness? emotionally engaged, practical love and service. Listen, in our two services here at Harbor, there's like 250 people in our church. Imagine 250 people who see their privilege not as something to be grasped, but as something to be stewarded and laid down, counting others more significant. How would that transform this room? How would that transform your family, your life group, your workplace, your neighborhood? Y'all, if we did this, it would transform our city. So check your privilege because the mission of God is so much bigger. Okay. Y'all might be like, all right, cool, Chad. Super tall order. It's a big risk to lay down your life uh, for others. Here's the thing, though. It's not blind faith. You're not taking my word for it. We know where this kind of life leads. Look at Jesus. He emptied himself for others, but he did not stay empty. God raised him up and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the Father. He emptied himself and God raised him up. And then take a look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. They emptied themselves for others. And 20 centuries later, their mundane travel plans are bursting with invincible joy. If God can do that with their travel plans, I guarantee you that their lives bore fruit that is still with us to this day, scattered across the globe. 
because God honors this kind of life. It makes, uh, he makes life like this eternally significant because God's kingdom comes when everyday disciples like you and me love each other sacrificially. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want to invite Asher, Dan and B, excuse me, Dan and B, D and Ben, Asher, D and Ben, would you guys come and join me up here on stage? Come on up. You guys don't know who these people are. So Asher, D and Ben, would you guys stand over here and look beautiful? These guys are graduating from Vision Pathways today. That means that they have completed a two-year uh, discipleship program in which uh, they have been working out their salvation. They have been pursuing it. They've been pressing into it. They've been striving in it. They've been holding fast to the work that God has done and is continuing to do in them. And I'm bringing them up on stage because I want you, church, I want you to rejoice that they're here. I want you to honor them. These people are evidence that God is continuing his work among us, and they're evidence that God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to take a selfie. So, hold on. I have a slow phone. You look good? You guys look good. You guys look, you look good. It's not a selfie. It's not, sorry. I don't want to mess up the, the, the picture. Look beautiful. All right. Thanks, guys. Asher D. It's not a selfie. I apologize. The other things I said were true, though. Um, Asher D. and Ben. In each of you, I see more of Jesus today than I did two years ago. Okay? And I rejoice in that because more of Jesus in you means more of Jesus here at this church. And more of Jesus in you means more of Jesus here in San Diego. And I want to encourage you that the last two years of Vision Pathways were well invested. All right? I think that the effort that you have put in over the last two years to work out your salvation uh, is going to bear fruit for the rest of your life. And I don't know what God's going to do with your travel plans, but I think they're going to be awesome. And so I want to present to you, each of you, this Ebenezer. It's a stone of remembrance for your time with Vision Pathways. I'm going to give it to you. I don't want you to keep it. I want you to give it back to me. All right? And the reason I want you to give it back to me is because we're going to put it down in these under our communion table. All right? And it's going to go in there, and I want these stones to testify to you and to this congregation that as you have worked out your salvation, it's God who has been working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so D, VP graduate, 2019, Ben Parks, VP graduate, 2019, Asher Westerveld, v, v, VP graduate, 2019. Congratulations, guys. Awesome. Great work. All right. As these guys leave the stage, I want to pray. You guys, yeah, would you, yeah, so did you, I want to tell you about these words that I wrote on here, but we'll, we'll have a private conversation later. <laughs> ben Parks, you owe me $20. It's good stuff. Thanks for celebrating with us. Let me pray for us. 
Lord Jesus, um, you emptied yourself for us. You had every right to hold on to your privilege, uh, but you gave it all up so that we might have privilege upon privilege, grace upon grace, glory, honor. Why would you do it? Why do you love us so? How can we respond? How can we say thank you? Lord, show us how. Um, this call, in some ways, it feels uh, wonderful. In other ways, it feels super heavy. I know I'm tired. I know I feel stretched in so many ways. And this call to love sacrificially, um, it makes me want to grab on to all my resources and not share them. But I know that's a lie. Because you, Father, are rich and you pour your resources into me. And as I step out in faith, I find uh, that you are already at work in me. And you're filling me up with everything I need to follow your call. Thank you that you have done all of this work of salvation already. It's done. And I had nothing to do with it. And there's nothing I can do to mess it up. And thank you for honoring me in this time of sanctification when I get to join in your work of salvation. Again, the love, the honor, the glory that you've shared with me and with us. Thank you, Lord. We want to worship you today in gratitude. Amen.